We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 493 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, and at last, it is over. Georgetown's 29-game losing streak in Big East regular season games, the record for the most consecutive regular season Big East losses in conference history. That streak finally, mercifully, is over. An 81-76 win over DePaul at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night as for the first time in nearly 23 months, the Hoyas won a Big East regular season game. And yes, the legendary radio voice of the Hoyas, my guy, my pal, Rich Botkin, he gave it to us. He gave it to us. Hoyas win. Here was his final call on Tuesday night on Bloomberg 99.1 FM. Out of the backcourt, putting up a jumper off the back of the rim, no good. Zion Cruz, Hoyas win it, Hoyas win, 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 Hoyas win. Georgetown finally gets off the schneid after losing nine straight conference ball games. Georgetown has their first conference victory of the season to go to one and nine. Congratulations to Patrick Ewing as they beat DePaul tonight. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. Hoyas win. Uh, by the way, congrats to Rich Vodkin. He on Monday was named by the National Sports Media Association as the winner of the 2023 Woody Durham Voice of College Sports Award. Uh, but yes, the Hoyas won. Uh, They won on Tuesday night. They actually won a real-life Big East regular season game. Uh, The Hoyas' last regular season Big East win had been a home win over Xavier on March 2nd, 2021. Think about that now. March 2nd, 2021. The last time that the Hoyas had won a Big East regular season game, the NFL team based in the Washington, D.C. area was known as the Washington football team and hadn't even yet signed quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, The last time that the Hoyas had won a Big East regular season game, the Nationals still had pitcher Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner. Yeah, it had been a while since the Hoyas had won a Big East regular season game, but the drought now is over. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode out each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each show out oh so early each weekday morning. Uh, I will talk Georgetown later in the show, but speaking of the team that was once known as the Washington football team and now is known as the Commanders. Uh, Next segment, I'm going to welcome on Bobby Trossett. Uh, He is the co-host of The Vault, a top Baltimore Ravens podcast. Bobby is going to tell us about two potential targets of the Commanders. 
former Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman and current Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Uh, Roman, of course, is available as the commanders continue their offensive coordinator search. Uh, Lamar, of course, may not end up being available, although he is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. And if the Ravens truly don't want to sign him to a long-term mega-money contract, they could tag him and trade him. Uh, Things were slash are complicated with the Ravens and Roman and Ravens and Lamar. There has been a lot out there on each situation. What is the truth about each situation? Should the commanders be pursuing Greg Roman for their offensive coordinator job? And should they be willing to go all in on trying to get Lamar Jackson if he becomes available? Uh, Bobby Trossett, next segment on potential commander's pursuits of Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson. Uh, Did you follow, by the way, all of the commander's Aaron Rodgers stuff that was out there on Tuesday? Yes, Aaron Rodgers, as in Green Bay Hackers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. So it's still not clear whether Rodgers is going to retire or will end up being traded by the Packers or will return for another season with the Packers. His contract makes things very complicated. Uh, A team that trades for Rodgers as long as he is traded uh, for prior to the regular season would inherit Rodgers' guaranteed 2023 salary, which is $59.465 billion dollars, although he on Tuesday did say that he is open to reworking his deal. He said this on the Pat McAfee show. Anyway, ESPN NFL analyst and former Maryland Terrapins corner Dominique Foxworth, he on ESPN's Get Up on Tuesday morning gave his top five destinations for Rodgers. Foxworth listed the commanders at number two. Uh, Fox Sports NFL analyst Greg Jennings, he on FS1's First Things First on Tuesday afternoon, had the commanders first. He listed the commanders as the number one landing spot for Rodgers. But also on Tuesday was ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on ESPN SportsCenter saying that he doesn't see any way that the Packers would trade Rodgers to an NFC team. They'd only trade him to an AFC team. You know, it's worth noting that Rodgers does not have a no-trade clause in his contract, so he contractually would not be able to dictate to which team he would be traded. Uh, you know, not that not that he'd necessarily be yearning to be traded to the Commanders anyway. We'll see. This has become an annual off-season drama now, right? What is going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, also on the show, the Capitals, uh, they on Tuesday night were without a, a lot of key players. Did get back winger Alex Ovechkin from a one-game absence caused by a lower body injury. He did score a goal, but the Caps suffered a regulation loss for a sixth time in nine games, a 3-2 loss at the Colorado Avalanche. And I'll talk Wizards. Uh, they on Tuesday night won their third consecutive game. You see, who says that the Wizards have no direction? A 127-126 win at the Dallas Mavericks. And I have some rather interesting audio from Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard on why he traded Rui Hachimura. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to advertise on the podcast and grow your business or practice at a very affordable price. We have special deals going on right now. Hit us up, see what we can do for you, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Stephen Mulhern on the Commanders. Right, Stephen, still loving the podcast and the intro music. The team needs to improve its offensive line. I believe that we would be playing in the playoffs if we had a better offensive line. I really can't wait to see the new owner in action fixing this problem. Thank you for all your hard work. Take care. Hope that you have a fantastic year. Always and forever. Hashtag HTTC. Left hand up. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for that email, Stephen. Much appreciated. Well, I'm not sure how much new ownership will have to do with the commanders upgrading their offensive line. Although who knows, maybe new ownership will play a sizable role in the commanders upgrading their offensive line. But no doubt the commanders need to upgrade their offensive line. I may be in the minority on this, but I believe that if Washington this season had had the offensive line play that Washington had last season, the commanders would have made the playoffs. The commander's quarterback play this season was not good enough. There's no debating that. But Washington in the 2021 season 
ended up having very good offensive line play when you look at the advanced metrics. Had that play been in effect this season, during which the commander's offensive line play cratered, uh, I do think that the commanders would have made the playoffs. A tweet from Tom Mirabella of my conversation on Tuesday's show, episode 492, with business journalist Josh Kosman of the New York Post. He on Monday broke the news that Amazon founder Jeff Bezos may be selling the Washington Post. Uh, this in an act of appeasement for Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder, who uh, we believe does not want to sell the Commanders to Jeff due to Dan's long-standing feud with the Washington Post, writes Tom, if Bezos sells the Post... Who would be a potential buyer with ties to the DMV and a large influx of reinvestable cash? That's right. You heard it here first. Dan Snyder is buying the Washington Post so he can finally control what the media says about him. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Tom. Uh, Yeah, so this actually has come up. The idea of Dan Snyder selling the commander's to Jeff Bezos for billions of dollars and the Washington Post. This would be like a trade in sports. Jeff would get the commanders, Dan would get the Post, and uh, a whole lot of cash considerations. Uh, Look, Dan's history is that he will buy media properties that he doesn't like or has had issues with or has received criticism from. Uh, Dan in 2005 bought ExtremeSkins.com, which at the time was a very popular Redskins fan forum. Uh, Dan in 2008 bought WTEM, uh, what was then Sports Talk 980, then became ESPN 980, and now is the Team 980. Uh, Lots of name changes and lots of lineup changes (laughs) for the radio station uh, that was my employer for 20 plus years. So I do not at all dismiss the possibility of Dan buying the Washington Post. Dan loves vengeance. He loves getting over on people and entities that he feels have done him wrong. Uh, What better way to exact revenge on the Post for all that it has done to poor Danny Boy than by buying it? Uh, And if I worked for the Washington Post and Dan Snyder bought it, uh, I would run. I would run as far away as I could because Dan Snyder's history of owning things is uh, not so good, okay? Uh, Now, Dan in the 1990s did have a lot of success in marketing, and he does deserve credit for that. But a lot of his business ventures since then have not gone well, including, yes, radio. Uh, Dan owned 980 from 2008 to 2018. I was there the entire time. He was a hands-off owner, okay? But he hired people to run the station who either weren't very good or had alternate agendas. A lot of bad decisions were made. And the station, sadly, went from being a powerhouse to now having been sold twice over the last five years and now being owned by its competitor and being purposely run as a distant number two. It's sad. Should have never happened, uh, but it did. But here's the other thing with Dan Snyder. If slash when he sells the entirety of his ownership of the commanders, I would not at all be surprised if he started spending even more time overseas, uh, maybe even became a primary resident of England or France if he isn't already. You know, the Washington Post, uh, there's that newspaper again, uh, it in early January reported that a recent business filing had included Dan Snyder claiming to be a resident of England. Quote, the certificate of incorporation of a private limited company for Snyder UK Investments Limited was filed November 21st with the Registrar of Companies for England and Wales. Snyder and his wife Tanya, the co-CEO of the Commanders, are listed as company directors for both The country or state of which they are usually a resident is listed as England. End quote. Jolly old England and jolly old Dan. Why not? Well, I don't know if Dan Snyder is tight with uh, King Charles III, but I do know that if you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. 
Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and once what is best for the firm's clients Paulson and Nace will treat you your family and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve uh Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured heck this past July Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly 1.8 million dollars. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PolsonandNace.com. That's PolsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Polson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Polson and Nace take care of your family. Well, the commander's offensive coordinator search continues. They on Tuesday morning announced that they on Tuesday were interviewing Los Angeles Rams assistant head coach and tight ends coach Thomas Brown for the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy. So the guys who have officially interviewed for the team's offensive coordinator job so far, former Cleveland Browns and former New York Giants head coach Pat Shermer, commander's quarterbacks coach Ken Zampezi, Atlanta Falcons quarterbacks coach Charles London, Miami Dolphins associate head coach and running backs coach Eric Studisville, and now Los Angeles Rams assistant head coach and tight ends coach Thomas Brown, a name that still has not been connected to the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy in terms of a formal report or formal interview is the name Greg Roman. Uh, He is out as Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator after four seasons in that position. Uh, The agency for Roman on January 19th announced that he was, quote, stepping away from the team to pursue other opportunities, end quote. Uh, I did a deep dive on Roman on episode 490 of the podcast. He has a track record of having great rushing offenses and of getting a lot out of mobile quarterbacks. Uh, The San Francisco 49ers Alex Smith in 2011 and 2012, the Niners Colin Kaepernick 2012 through 2014, the Buffalo Bills Tyrod Taylor, the Virginia Tech product in uh, 2015, the Ravens Lamar Jackson in 2019 and 2020. All of those quarterbacks, very good seasons happened with Greg Roman as offensive coordinator, but a lot of Ravens fans were rejoicing over Roman being out as Ravens offensive coordinator. So what is the truth about this guy? And should the commanders be in on him? I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Bobby Trossett, co-host of The Vault, a terrific Baltimore Ravens podcast. Uh, You can find Bobby on Instagram at Bobby Baltimore, uh, which is simply Baltimore with two E's. Uh, Bobby, it's good to talk to you, man. Thanks a lot for coming on. Oh, absolutely, Al. I appreciate you having me on. And I know uh, I'm glad to return the favor because Sarah and I had you on, you know, right before the start of the season. I think it was actually leading up to that preseason game between the Ravens and Commanders. So let's get to it. Yeah, well, I do want to ask you about a potential commander's pursuit of uh, your guy, Lamar Jackson. But before that, Greg Roman, uh, let's start with this. Why ultimately is Roman out as Ravens offensive coordinator? Well, I I would say that uh, it just ran its course. You know, he ran its course, uh, unfortunately, in in Baltimore when it comes to what we feel and the numbers tell you was a very underwhelming body of work over four years from a passing attack standpoint. And so there's a lot of criticism aimed at him about Lamar's lack of development, his struggles in the past game. And ultimately, when you take a look at the statistical categories, I think what jumps out at me the most in terms of passing yards per game in his four seasons, this is where they ranked 
among the 32 teams. 27th in year one, 32nd in year two, 14th in year three, and 28th in year four. It's just not good enough. And unfortunately, for for how dynamic and powerful and explosive and effective his running game was in Baltimore, there was zero balance when you take a look at the other element of the offensive game. And ultimately, to me, that's why this team, because they're constructed, I, I, I would say, you know, take it, put my bias aside, I feel as if they're constructed to compete with some of the AFC elites out there, and yet they just haven't been able to get past the divisional round in the Lamar Jackson era. And to me, it's because they don't scare you in the air. Greg Roman was the Ravens offensive coordinator for four seasons, 2019 through 2022. The last two seasons uh, were not great offensive seasons for the Ravens, uh, due in no small part to Lamar Jackson and each of those two regular seasons playing in just 12 of the Ravens' 17 games. But Roman's first two seasons as Ravens offensive coordinator, 2019 and 2020 featured really good seasons for Lamar, including his 2019 Associated Press MVP season. What has happened with Lamar over these last two seasons? Because I know that what has happened with him is a big part of why people wanted Greg Roman out as Ravens offensive coordinator. Well, first and foremost, obviously, he hasn't been available back-to-back seasons down the stretch in crunch time. And the team has been a shell of itself as a result. I shouldn't say the team. The offense has been a shell of itself as a result. This is a championship-caliber defense, especially with the addition of, of Roquan Smith. But, but that's, that's first and foremost. You know? And unfortunately for Lamar, they were two freak plays. You know? they, weren't doing, they weren't sustained while doing what he does best, and that's obviously uh, making people miss being electric, find a way to be as elusive as we maybe a player as we've ever seen in the NFL. They were just two freak plays being flushed out of the pocket on poorly protected sequences. So I would say it starts there. From there, we got to talk about personnel because as much as we want to talk about some of his deficiencies or lack of feel for situational awareness, right, I think, gosh, what's fresh on my mind, Al, is the wild card game that they lost to Cincinnati Uh, not too long ago, he just, Greg abandoned J.K. Dobbins. And J.K. was just getting anything he wanted. And yet, when it mattered the most, specifically at that goal line position, right, when Tyler Huntley tried the QB sneak and went up top and tried to, you know, kind of climb the mountain instead of go below and between the tackles and kind of get pushed in, he went up top. Next thing you know, goal line fumble, since he brings it all the way back to the house via Sam Hubbard, and, 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 that's, and that's that. Why wouldn't you use your horse in that situation, I think, is, is what all of Baltimore was wondering. So I think from a situational awareness standpoint and um, some situational play calling, there was a lot left to be desired. And so, gosh, he's got all the ability in the world, though, Al, and maybe this is what's peaking the interest of you guys down there, right? His rushing attack, to your point, those first two years with Lamar were historical. And and Lamar's MVP season, no team has ever rushed for more yards in a single season than the 2019 Baltimore Ravens. And so his concepts and his scheme and his, his ability to create this system where guards and tackles are pulling and they're just opening up all kinds of lanes and windows. It it makes for a a really lethal rushing attack. But again, when you don't have balance and some of that is related to Lamar's unavailability. And some of that is also related to personnel, which I would love to talk to you about in a couple of minutes, because I think that's one of the, the things that would pique my interest. If I'm a commanders fan, I look at the personnel between the wide receivers in Washington and the wide receivers up here, if you want to call them wide receivers, gosh, I mean, they've done – It's we can get to that in just a bit. Speaking of statistical categories, this passing attack is extremely underwhelming. But maybe that's what interests me the most because Washington's pass catchers scare me more than Baltimore's do. Well, so let's get to it. Uh, it has been said that receivers do not like playing in Greg Roman offenses because he wants his receivers to block so much. Uh, former Redskins and former
former Ravens quarterback Robert Griffin III. Uh, he on January 19th tweeted, quote, Greg Roman may be one of the greatest run game tacticians I have ever been around at the NFL level. Running backs and tight ends love his system because they eat. Wide receivers absolutely hate it. That's why free agent receivers didn't want to go to or stay in Baltimore. It was never about Lamar Jackson end quote. Where do you stand on the issue of Greg Roman and receivers? Because, yeah, the commanders have three quality receivers in Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, and Curtis Samuel. And the Ravens over the years haven't exactly been known for having uh, stellar receivers. Over the 27-year history, Al, of this franchise in Baltimore, as respected as they've been, as successful as they've been, they have been unable to develop homegrown wide receivers via the draft. Their best pass catchers have come via free agency, via trade. You know, the Steve Smith seniors, the Anquan Boldens. So that's a problem to me, you know? And, and so I, I have every reason to believe that, hey, why not put Greg in a situation where he has true personnel at the wide receiver position that can actually go and, and get you 50-50 balls and create separation consistently and run silky correct routes and, and, and everything that goes into being a wide receiver in the NFL because what he had at his disposal didn't do what I just mentioned consistently enough whatsoever. And and to me, that's been the downfall the last couple of years. That's Ultimately, what's led, I would say, Lamar Jackson to being held back a little bit. No disrespect to their their tight end philosophy. Mark Andrews is one of the best in the game, you know. But ultimately, I think what wins you games, yes, top-notch defense, yes, the ability to run the ball. But you have got to be able to scare your opponent through the air from a vertical passing attack standpoint. And the Ravens haven't done that for years. And so I, as somebody who's watched Greg, and, and gotten to know Greg over the last few years, I'd love to see him in a situation where he has the personnel that Washington does because it could change everything. Were there any signs of a fracture between Greg Roman and Ravens head coach John Harbaugh or a fracture between Roman and Lamar Jackson? Or was Roman's departure from the Ravens purely about offensive results? It's a good question. There were some, I would say, from a messaging standpoint, it was clear to me, having gotten to know John Harbaugh personally and his body language and the way that he handles press conferences, I would say that there were, there were some frustrations internally. They were never leaked. They were never uh, apparent to anyone from the outside looking in. And of course, the the ultimate parting of ways happened just in that, the classic Raven way, you know, uh, let him leave on his own terms. Uh, you know, protect him, thank him and appreciate him for what he did do rather than focus on what he didn't do. And obviously what he did do, like we talked about a few minutes ago, was pretty dang special and historical in a lot of ways. And so I really do believe that's that's one of the main reasons, you know, what what he's proven uh, as a as a run game coordinator. And he's more than that. I know he's an offensive play caller. And, and gosh, he played he called the plays for an MVP season, you know, in 2019. I do believe that you know that's that's exhibit a for why he won't remain unemployed for very long uh but what you're getting at to kind of you know to kind of put a bow on this is what we saw down the stretch was john harbaugh not lean away from openly criticizing greg when asked about him during certain press conferences one that comes to mind is one gus edwards in the, the second time that they played the steelers i think he had like nine total snaps and and for those who who aren't familiar, Gus is, is the, the running back number two behind J.K. Dobbins at Baltimore, and he's a, he's a total workhorse, and it was having a heck of a season. And for whatever reason, the second time they played the Steelers, he only had a couple carries for like three yards, nine total snaps. He was fully healthy, and John was asked about it in his Monday press conference, you know, what happened to Gus? And he's just like, that's unacceptable. Like, we cannot lose sight of that. That's, that just can't happen. And so there were a few of those kind of situations where even like a 
gosh, like a, a weird play call in the Denver game. It was a trick play and sort of ill-advised timing where they asked James Prochet, who's a reserve wide receiver, to, to, to throw the football in just a bizarre play that, that ended up in a, in a total gift of an interception. And John was asked about it the next day, and he just straight up said that was not the time for it. Huh. That just can't happen. Greg and I spoke about it. So you know what I mean? Like there were little things that started to kind of like Wink Martindale's departure the year prior – it became clear to me that uh, that, that the two sides were going to part ways, and they did so amicably. Much more with Bobby Trossett in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Lamar Jackson. What if he becomes available via trade? Should the commanders do all that they can to get Lamar? Uh, Of course, Lamar via trade would cost a lot, uh, both in terms of trade compensation and a contract. But unlike Lamar, the hiatus app is free to acquire. Uh, Hiatus is a personal financial management app that allows you to take full control of your money. If you want to get a better handle on where your money is going, if you want to get your bills, utilities, and subscriptions organized, uh, download the Hiatus app. It's great. Hiatus allows you to see all of your subscriptions in one place and lets you cancel the ones that you don't want or need in just a few taps. Uh, Hiatus can alert you if any of your monthly bills, like your cell phone bill or internet bill, are negotiable. And Hiatus has an in-house team that actually can negotiate and lower those bills for you. Download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. There's no cost to downloading the app. Download it and see what it can do for you. Again, download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. Hiatus, take control of your money. More now with Bobby Trossett, co-host of The Vault, a Ravens podcast. Uh, So unlike the Ravens, uh, the commanders have been in need of a franchise quarterback for years. Uh, The photoshopped photo of Lamar Jackson in a commander's uniform has become quite popular on Twitter. He is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. The Ravens, of course, could slap him with a franchise tag or transition tag. Uh, A tag could lead to a multi-year contract, could also lead to him being traded. Uh, We know that Lamar is unique in that he serves as his own agent, but in an NFL in which mega money contracts for quarterbacks are getting done quite a bit, why hasn't a long-term big money contract between the Ravens and Lamar gotten done already? Well, he's a unicorn in every sense of the word, and usually we use that phrase for him for what he does on the field, and and certainly that is the case. But he's also a unicorn off the field. I mean, you talk about betting on yourself and how athletes have done that over the years. We just saw Roquan Smith do that. You know, decided to to leave Chicago, and next thing you know, he signs that record-setting deal. You know, for off-ball linebackers in Baltimore, and he was worth every penny, if you ask me. And he is worth every penny. Completely transformed this defense. But for Lamar, this almost certainly comes down to guaranteed money, and. Not only did he bet on himself this fifth and final year of his rookie contract, but gosh, I mean, unless something unforeseen comes to fruition here, he's going to bet on himself again in his sixth season without long-term security and guarantees in play, which is wild to think when not only we're talking about the sport of football, the most violent, uh, scary sport we have out there, and if this year didn't tell you that, I don't know what, what year has. Um, he's going to make a lot of great short-term money, out with this approach. But And we've seen it with Kirk Cousins, obviously, and bless his heart. I mean, that's a, it, it's savvy. It's a, it's a calculated risk. You know, I kind of admire his, his passion and belief in himself and the confidence that comes with it. But gosh, the way he plays with reckless abandon, it just scares me. And so, you know, ultimately... This has come down to his unique nature being represented by himself. He's got his mother and some, some other you know, um, people in his camp that are extremely tight-lipped. It's, uh, it's like infiltrating a fortress, Al, trying to get into this camp. You cannot get in there, and you cannot figure anything out about him. And he's been very, very, I would say, cryptic throughout the course of the last couple of months since he went down. And so... You know, hey, I still believe it's going to be a tag, but he understands that uh, he understands what he's worth. And guess what? I agree with him because I saw what now back to back years. I've seen what the 
Lamar Jackson led Ravens look like with eight out there, and I've seen what they look like without him there. And the truth is, when he's not there, they are nowhere close to being a Super Bowl contender. And when he is, to me, they should be competing um, for AFC championships. What do we know about what the Ravens have offered Lamar Jackson in terms of a long-term contract? Like, has the team made him a worthy offer, or are the Ravens actually reluctant to commit to him via a big-money long-term contract? I mean, their actions tell you that uh, clearly there's a disagreement there, right? Or else something would have been done by now. Um, now, coming off the end-of-season press conference just from, from last week, it was abundantly clear to me that they have every. And granted, you don't want to have the the, the Kool Aid out on the table and sipping that thing, or looking at this with rose-colored glasses, right? Because they all obviously want to protect his trade value if that ends up being in the cards, or they just continue to, you know, they have struggles with the negotiation process, or something is halted this this off season. So I'll just make that very clear first and foremost. But I thought Harbaugh and DeCosta both made it just abundantly clear how badly they want him. And they went as far to say that Harbaugh wants him, Eric wants him, Steve Bashotti wants him, and then Harbaugh finished this nugget by saying, and Lamar wants to be here. And so it's kind of like, wow, you know, that was that was a statement right there that it's hard to kind of ignore. And so the the problem with the initial part of your question, Al, that I don't have a solution on is what's been offered because there's no agent involved and the and the front office has been and there's so many different conflicting reports out there even by ESPN itself for various folks at the at the at the mothership you know and and so the last time i heard that there was i believe 133 million dollars guaranteed but it's unclear what the overall value of that offer came out to be and so at, at some point you got to ask yourself like is what is Lamar standing down for, or not standing down, but what is Lamar waiting for? You know, because if it's the Deshaun Watson or something equivalent to the Deshaun Watson deal in Cleveland, that ain't happening. Steve Bashotti made it so clear at the owners' meetings last March, without coming out and saying it, that that was a complete outlier deal in Cleveland, a desperate move made by a desperate organization, and by principle, He will not one-up that to reset the quarterback market. And I think we're going to really know one way or uh, another, Al, with with Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert being on deck here for big paydays, whether or not that was an aberration or something that will ultimately continue to reset the quarterback market. We are now five seasons into Lamar Jackson's NFL career. What are the biggest knocks on him as a passer at this point? Just consistency, deep ball-wise, accuracy-wise, outside the numbers. Thought he took a good step forward last year in that category, meaning the 2021 season. But, um, you know, unfortunately for Lamar, he, he just, you know, in 2022, he, he was off to a sizzling start. But then the offense really just started to have operational issues, Al. And that's something that I think you guys got to keep in mind. Even before Lamar went down, this offense – was not functioning at the level that we thought it was was capable of doing, that we knew it was capable of doing. You know, and so what I mean by operational is play clock management. Um, the communication between the offensive play caller booth and Lamar's headset. There was something going on there. So much so that, gosh, I, I could think of so many plays off the top of my head where the play clock would literally be at <laughs> point you know, tenths of a second before hitting zero. And Lamar's clapping his hands trying to get the ball snapped. So something was going on operationally that that led to a just a, a discombobulated state that the Ravens weren't able to get. And, and by the way, when Lamar went down, obviously things got worse. But these, these issues operation-wise continued when Tyler Huntley uh, was under center. So that is something that that's kind of mind-boggling to me. I don't know how that happens. It obviously led to some penalties. It led to some just an unorganized state of a Ravens offense that we were used to seeing them winning games. And then the flip was totally 
that the, I should say the script was totally flipped this year when the defense had to go out and win them games uh, rather than the contrary. So um, for, from Lamar's standpoint, you know, year six for him, for him assuming that he's going to be in Baltimore, I still believe that he's going to get tagged, Al, um, the, you know, the exclusive franchise tag, which will you know earn him around, I think it's $45.4 million for, for 2023. Um, it's it's going to be a deep ball game, but that starts with personnel. He's capable of doing it. He needs the personnel. Well, the Commanders certainly have the personnel in terms of receivers. I got to tell you, though, as a Commanders fan, I would not endorse the Commanders doing whatever it would take to trade for Lamar Jackson and sign him to a mega money contract. It, to me, is disturbing that the Ravens haven't already signed him to a mega money contract. Like, there clearly are things that are compelling the Ravens not to do that. Uh, What about the drama with his knee injury this season? Uh, Lamar in the Ravens' 10-9 win over the Denver Broncos on December 4th suffered a sprained PCL in his left knee. He ended up not playing again the rest of the season, including in the Ravens' 24-17 loss at the Cincinnati Bengals on January 15th in the wildcard round of the playoffs. Did Lamar let the Ravens down in not playing through that injury at some point, or was the injury such that him not playing again this season was understandable? And I've gone back and forth on this one a lot, but in talking to some former players that I trust and in doing, not not that I am any more qualified than anybody else to do medical research, but yeah. having kind of taken a deep dive into the differences between, you know, the four grade levels that go into a, a PCL sprain, which is what he sustained. He was somewhere between two and three, more towards three, which is actually like a partial tear. So to me, while the optics from the outside looking in open up the conversation for doubt and for a lot of the opinions that you've seen out there in terms of him holding out for a contract, while, while all of those make sense, I believe this is simply a setback that was initially reported, I would say, in an optimistic way whether it was by John Harbaugh himself after the Denver game or by the Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter's of the world. It was initially reported optimistically that unfortunately, as things progressed, became more and more severe, which opened up the door for misleading reports and conspiracy theories. And, you know, us as human beings, we're, we're, we're a funny breed, right? Like when, when we have doubt, when we have uncertainty, we tend to lean on conspiracy theories. And so, while the optics tell you one thing, I believe the player in this sense, Al, because I'm going to take him by his word based on what he's told us. He's given us no reason to believe over his five seasons with the Ravens that he would basically bail out on his team with a potential trip or with a potential to make a run for a Super Bowl because ultimately he's not a rah-rah guy. You don't see him doing those progressive commercials like Baker a couple years ago, right? He is as team first as it gets. He is not about the individual awards. And so in this case, I choose to to take the player's side. All right. Great perspectives on Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson, two potential targets of the commanders. Bobby Trossett, co-host of The Vault, a uh, really good Ravens podcast. Bobby, thanks a lot for your time and continued success with the podcast. Appreciate you, Al. Thanks again, man. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, it wasn't going to last forever. At least, you were pretty sure that it wasn't going to last forever. Georgetown's 29-game losing streak in Big East regular season games, the record for the most consecutive regular season Big East losses in conference history, uh, that losing streak at last is over. Uh, Georgetown improved to 6-15 and overall and 1-9 and in the Big East with an 81-76 win over DePaul at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. The Hoyas' last regular season Big East win had been a home win over Xavier on March 2nd, 2021. Uh, we went nearly 23 months between Hoyas' Big East regular season wins. Look, DePaul isn't very good, but uh, beggars shall not be choosers, and the Hoyas have become beggars when it comes to getting wins. Uh, The Hoyas on Tuesday night blew a nine-point second-half lead, trailed by one point at 58-57, but then went on an 18-5 run for a 12-point lead at 75-63. That lead did get cut to just three points in the closing seconds of the game, but the Hoyas held on for the win. Uh, They won despite allowing DePaul to go 7-15 on threes, and despite getting outscored in the paint 38-28. Also, the Hoyas won despite going just 4-15 on threes, just a 21-41 of on twos, and just a 27-41 of on free throws. Uh, DePaul went just 11-19 on free throws. Look, a work of art this game was not, Uh, but the game was a Hoyas win. Uh, Duquesne transfer Primo Spears was the Hoyas' leading scorer. He in 40 minutes as a starter, went 0-2 on threes, just 7-15 on twos, and just 7-11 on free throws. He finished with 21 points, 6 assists versus 3 turnovers and 4 rebounds. Uh, UConn transfer and 6-10 big man, a cook, a cook. Uh, he was cooking on Tuesday night, 32 minutes as a starter, 2-5 on threes, 2-4 on twos. Uh, did go just to 2-4 on free throws. He finished with 12 points, 6 rebounds. And four blocks. Uh, the Hoyas on Tuesday night did remain without a key player. Arizona State transfer Jay Heath. Uh, he did not play for a seventh consecutive game due to a left-hand injury. But the Hoyas did win. Uh, next up for Georgetown at St. John's Sunday afternoon at 2. Well, the good news for the Capitals is that they on Tuesday night were a lot better uh, than they were in their previous game, that uh, hideous 6-2 loss at the Vegas Golden Knights this past Saturday night. But the bad news for the Caps is that they on Tuesday night suffered yet another regulation loss. Uh, The Caps fell to 25-19-6 with a 3-2 loss at the Colorado Avalanche on Tuesday night. Uh, The Caps concluded a 1-2-0 trip out west and suffered a regulation loss for a sixth time in nine games. Uh, this off having suffered just one regulation loss over the previous 15 games. Uh, now, the Caps for this game were missing a ton of guys in a season in which the Caps have been bludgeoned by injury and absence. Tuesday night was especially bad. You start with the Caps continuing to be without the following players due to injury. Defenseman John Carlson and forwards Nick Dowd, Connor Brown, and Carl Haglin. Then you throw in the following. Center Nicholas Backstrom did not play due to a non-COVID illness. Winger TJ Oshie 
did not play due to his wife giving birth, and winger Tom Wilson suffered a lower body injury and left the game. Uh, The Caps on Tuesday night were without quite a few players. Uh, Now, winger Alex Ovechkin did return. That was good news. And he did score a goal. Uh, Ovi returned from a one-game absence caused by a lower body injury. He had a third-period even-strand goal, three shots on goal, and seven total shot attempts. This was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game session with reporters late night on Tuesday night on Ovi. I thought he I thought he played hard. I mean, he, he had a big goal to get us back into it, and I think he played 23 or 24 minutes. So, um, you know, when you're chasing the game like that, you're putting the guys out there that can get you back into the game, and you got us a goal to get us close, and the guys continue to, to push down the stretch. So uh, he made it through okay. All right, good news there. Uh, but the Caps on Tuesday night scored just two goals. Uh, winger Connor Sheary had the Caps other goal, a second period, even strength goal. Uh, the Caps went 0-2 on the power play. Their power play has not been very good lately. Uh, the Caps starting goaltender was Darcy Kemper. He stopped 23 of the 26 shots on goal that he faced. The Caps lost the game despite being on the penalty kill not once, the entire game. Yeah, zero penalty kill opportunities for the Caps on Tuesday night. Uh, also, the Caps lost the game despite winning the puck possession battle. Uh, the Caps, per natural stat trick, had 58 five-on-five shot attempts to the Avalanches, 48. Uh, the Caps totaled 39 shots on goal to the Avalanches, 26. The Caps on Tuesday night did do some good things, especially considering uh, the team's many absences, but uh, the Caps did not do enough good things to win the game. More from Peter Laviolette late night on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, I thought the guys played hard. There was uh, things on the goals that I wish we did better defensively. Just mistakes, you know, not not from a lack of effort or um, just a little bit of the details. And um, you know, maybe one or two in the second, first, and then there was a few in the in the second period. And um, but I I thought our guys. You know, showed up and attacked from the, from the get-go. And when you're attacking like that, sometimes you leave yourself a little bit vulnerable. And so there's some things that just from inside the system we could have done a little bit better. But for the most part, I thought the guys played hard. And next up for the Caps, a very big game from both a rivalry standpoint and a standings standpoint. Uh, the Caps are home to the arch-rival Pittsburgh Penguins. Thursday night at 7, the Pens on Tuesday night beat the Florida Panthers 7-6 in overtime. So the Caps and Pens now are tied for the Eastern Conference's top wildcard spot at 56 points. The Wizards spent much of Monday and Tuesday getting hammered by people like me uh, for the team's lack of direction, and justifiably so. Now, their trade of Rui Hachimura to the Los Angeles Lakers on Monday evening in and of the trades itself was not some absurd move. Uh, Rui is set to be a restricted free agent this offseason. He is not worthy of being paid big money. But the Wizards for Rui got back pennies on the dollar for a guy who the Wizards took with the number nine pick in the 2019 NBA draft. And the trade was just the latest of many trades by a Wizards team that keeps making trades and keeps blowing draft picks and keeps signing Bradley Beal to max contracts and keeps going nowhere. Well, the Wizards on Tuesday night did win their third consecutive game and won at what is a pretty good team in the Dallas Mavericks. So the Wizards improved to 21 and 26 with a 127-126 win at the Mavs. Uh, the game was closed throughout. The Wizards did blow an eight-point early fourth quarter lead, but DeLon Wright in the closing seconds, a game-sealing steal for a bad pass turnover by Luka Doncic. Uh, the Wizards won this game despite being without Chris Dabbs Porzingis. Uh, he did not play due to a sprained left ankle that he suffered in the Wizards' 138-118 win over the Orlando Magic at Capital One Arena this past Saturday night. The Wizards on Monday morning announced that Porzingis is week-to-week, so he could be out for a while. 
Uh, the Wizards on Tuesday night had a mixed game defensively, held the Mavericks to just a 10 of 30 on threes, but also allowed the Mavs to score 64 points in the paint. And a big part of that was the Wizards getting worked by the great Luka Doncic. Uh, he, in 37 minutes, 46 seconds as a starter, went 0 of 4 on threes and 9 of 12 on free throws, but also 16 of 25 on twos. Doncic finished with 41 points, 15 rebounds, and 6 assists versus 3 turnovers. He is an elite player, clearly. Uh, the Wizards had all kinds of problems with him on Tuesday night. But the Wizards did have a pretty good game offensively. Uh, they went 11-30 on threes, 31-53 on twos, and generated 41 free throw attempts, although the Wiz went just to 32 of 41 on free throws. Bradley Beal in 30 minutes, 9 seconds as a starter, went just 5-15 of 15 on twos and just 6-9 on free throws. But he also went 2-2 two two on threes, finished with 22 points and 4 assists, versus two turnovers. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, 36 minutes, 48 seconds as a starter. He went just to two of 10 on threes, but also 10 of 13 on twos and four of five on free throws. He finished with 30 points, five rebounds, and two assists versus three turnovers. And the Wizards got two strong performances from reserves. Uh, Denny Avdia, he in 32 minutes, 7 seconds off the bench, went 0-1 on threes, 3 of 4 on twos, and 9 of 11 on free throws. He finished with 15 points, 10 rebounds, 3 steals, and 3 assists versus 1 turnover. And what was particularly interesting regarding Denny was what Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard told NBC Sports Washington. Uh, he essentially said that getting Denny Avdia more playing time was a reason for trading Rui Hachimura. Take a listen. This was an opportunity, I thought, for the Wizards. Uh, there was a bit of a crossroads. We had a log jam at that position, trying to get more minutes for Danny Avia, I think was really a big reason behind this trade. And, you know, I, certainly Rui has been fantastic. This season's done a great job. His first year was all rookie. Second year made a big shot in the playoff series, a game winner against Philly, and his path has been good. He's a solid player. But as we made this transition, starting Gaff now with, with KP, kind of changed the lineup, the rotation a little bit, and Denny was playing less and less. And I, I think that's somebody that we see as a big part of our future moving forward uh, defensively. I think he's one of our best defenders, certainly wing pick and rolls. He's one of the best in the league. And, uh, you know, it's just a difficult decision anytime you trade anybody because we have all the memories, right? I, it's it's very difficult, but at the same time, I think moving forward for the Wizards, very important to have extra picks. It's very important to have a trade exception, and certainly Kendrick is a good player that's proven in the league to be instant offense. He can score, uh, definitely a perimeter threat. But I think when, when we really looked at what we needed uh, was to, to give Danny more responsibility, more opportunity to play. All right, so Tommy Shepard very much pushing, wanting more playing time for Denny Avdia as a reason for trading Rui Hachimura. That's fine. I mean, Denny is a better player than Rui is, but again, the Wizards got back pennies on the dollar for Rui. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, who, by the way, was a DNP CD on Tuesday night, and three second-round picks, two of which are years away, the 2028 and 2029 NBA drafts, and Rui Hachimura ultimately does go down as a failed first-round pick by Tommy Shepard with the Wizards. A number nine overall pick needs to be better than what the Wizards got from Rui and got for Rui. Uh, also, on Tuesday night, DeLon Wright, uh, he had that game-sealing steal, and he, in 21 minutes, 33 seconds off the bench, went two of five on threes, two of two on twos, finished with 10 points, six assists, versus no turnovers, three steals, and three rebounds. Next up for the Wizards is a game on Wednesday night. The Wizard at the Houston Rockets, Wednesday night at 8. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 494. We'll feature a lot for you on the Commanders. We'll also talk Wizards and Maryland basketball. The Wizard at the Houston Rockets, Wednesday night at 8. The Terrapins are home to Wisconsin, Wednesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. 
Out of the backcourt, putting up a jumper off the back of the rim, no good. Zion Cruz, Hoyas win it, Hoyas win, 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 Hoyas win. Georgetown finally gets off the schneid. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.